Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Passion. So turn your Bibles to John chapter 12, verses 42 to 50, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Don't Harden Your Heart. The end of John chapter 12 marks the end of Jesus' public teaching ministry. He will, after that, spend a great deal of time with his 12 disciples. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell some of what was done and said among the 12 during that time, but but John will fill in the details. In John chapters 13 to 17, those are five chapters, and they're taken up in what Jesus said to only the 12 disciples during Passion Week. And after that, after the prayer in John 17, Jesus will be arrested and tried and beaten and then crucified. And so as we come to the end of John chapter 12, the public teaching ministry of Jesus now comes to an end. Or to put it another way, the last things that Jesus said to the crowds is recorded in the very end of that chapter. And so since Jesus himself knows that this is the end of his public teaching ministry, you might expect that what he will now say are very well-chosen words. He no doubt will want to communicate something that's memorable or even a takeaway from his entire teaching ministry. So what will he say? So here's what he's going to say. In a few short words, he's going to summarize the conflict that he has had with the world. See, when we read it and think about it, we will find that what he says comes in the form of an appeal. You have to hear the passion in his voice now. The time has grown short. The urgency has never been greater. Many of his hearers are in eternal danger, and they don't know it. They're lost in darkness, and they have no motivation to come into the light. In this passage, we hear Jesus calling out for the last time. And the crazy thing when we read this is that in one way, this is a call to all of us. There will be a last time in which Jesus calls you to come to him. Perhaps it will be at your own death or perhaps at the very moment he returns in glory. But he calls out nonetheless. This is the appeal of the king of love, the king of compassion for those who walk in darkness. You know, in the previous section, we learned that although many had seen the signs that he did, they still did not believe in him. John, as he's contemplated those events so many years later, remembered the words of Isaiah, how the Lord had blinded eyes and hardened hearts so they could not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts. Now, of course, John is not saying that in some fashion, God sovereignly acted so as to override the free will of the people who had seen the ministry of Jesus. Let's see if I can clarify what John meant when he said that God blinded the eyes of the people and hardened their hearts. You know, from a wider reading of Scripture, let's make three important affirmations. First, God's sovereignty or his authority and power and control over all things. Well, that's never the opposite of human responsibility. God made human beings to have freedom to have liberty, to make their own choices, which also includes their moral choices as well as the spiritual decisions they make. Those who witnessed Jesus had come to some kind of conclusion as to what to make of it all. But, and this is key to understanding this account, no one forced them to do anything contrary to their free will. They made free decisions as to what to do with Jesus. And so having seen the signs Jesus did and including, you know, the feeding of the 5,000 and the healing of the sick and driving out demons and even raising the dead, you know, the people that watched, all of them freely decided. 
Some concluded they would never entrust their lives to him. Yeah, God does rule over the decisions human beings make, but we never make our choices with our arms twisted behind our backs. John is not saying that the people who rejected Jesus were rejecting him because God made them do that. No, no. They were entirely responsible for their free moral decisions. They chose darkness rather than light. And by the way, we're just like them. You know, we make our own moral and spiritual choices all the time, and none of us on the day of judgment will be able to say, you know, God, you made me reject you. Now, that decision was ours, and it was ours alone. Now, second, God never manipulates morally neutral people. In other words, when John says that God hardened their hearts, he's not giving us a picture of morally neutral people, you know, who might have believed if only God hadn't hardened them. Then it's just the opposite. You know, God says John takes sinful people whose hearts are filled with darkness, and then he hardens them. Now, third, if you understand this correctly, you can have hope. Remember the father in Luke 9. He cries out to Jesus, help my unbelief. Each one of us, recognizing that faith is a great mystery, can go to God and ask him for what we don't have. Lord, I lack faith. Would you have mercy on me and grant me faith? And in response, God will answer in the affirmative. God will never turn his back on the person who asks. So how do we put this together? Well, let me try an illustration which is supposed to work as an analogy. Imagine someone who's healthy, doesn't want to get sick. She gets vaccinated against a disease that might come to her. You know, a vaccine works by introducing antigens into the body so that the body learns to recognize those antigens and remember them. And so when it comes in contact with live pathogens, the immune system automatically goes to work and fights them. You know, once vaccinated, they become immune from the disease. Well, let's turn it the other way around. Let's say a person wants to be sick, or in this case, sinful. Now then, along comes Jesus, replete with astounding miracles, and those miracles work like a vaccine against God. The more miracles they see, the less likely they are to ever respond. The miracles actually harden the dark heart. Let me use another illustration to make that point. It has been said that the same sun that softens the butter also hardens the clay. That is, the miracles of Jesus are designed to have an entirely different impact on different people. You know, some will become even further immune from God and his kingdom and others. Well, they're going to fall on their faces and surrender to the lordship of Jesus. They're going to call him Savior, Messiah, Lord, and God. The miracles, or as John likes to call them, the signs, are designed by God to work in just such a manner. Hence, says John, that's what's happening here. God hardens their hearts in that already darkened hearts see the miracles of Jesus and only plunge deeper into darkness. That's why what I'm about to say is so essential. Today, if you hear the voice of God speaking to you, don't you harden your heart. Don't you dare say, I can always make up my mind tomorrow. Yeah, it's true. You might not have tomorrow. After all, our lives are like vapor and soon we will be no more. Only a fool counts on tomorrow. But there's another reason not to harden your heart today. If you continue to delay your decision for Jesus, you only succeed in allowing the call of God to harden your heart so that you may be in such a state of denial that you're never able to respond at all, that is, in the future. Your resistance to the gospel today is going to work like a vaccination. It will ensure that you never get the real thing. You'll become unable to respond in the future. And that's a sober warning. 
Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Rather, respond, bend the knee, confess your sin, call Jesus Lord and God, ask him to take control of your life. Ask him to make you his own. Respond immediately. Respond now. Why would you gamble with your immortal soul? Tomorrow may not be yours. Now, getting back to John chapter 12, John is then quick to add that he doesn't want to give the impression that no one believed or that the amount of believers were only a very small group of people. So let's read John 12, 42 to 43. Nevertheless, many even among the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Now, we do know that some of the religious authorities did secretly believe. There were a number of them, says John, but we know specifically about two of them. The first was Nicodemus. He was mentioned in John chapter 3. He had come to Jesus at night during that time. And we also know of a man named Joseph of Arimathea. So if we go ahead to John 19, 38 to 39, we're going to see these two men playing a role later, that is after the crucifixion of Jesus. So that passage says, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. Now, just when you might be feeling warm and fuzzy about that, well, John will now say something quite harsh about men like these. He says they love the glory that comes from men more than the glory that comes from God. So in order to believe, that is, in order to truly believe, You have to love the glory of God more than you value the glory of man. Loving the glory of man is a vaccination. It'll keep you from the glory of God. It will make you unable to respond to him. In Dr. Neufeld's recent blog post concerning the COVID-19 pandemic, He challenged us to consider the words of Psalm 91. So let's reflect on just two sections of that psalm. Beginning at verse 1, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And verse 14, Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. You know, in the midst of uncertain times, trust in the God that loves his children beyond measure. For more information about Back to the Bible, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit Back to the Bible. When John describes the secret believers and then diagnoses their problem, that they were men who loved the glory of men more than the glory of God, well, we should remember this is not the only time when we read about this attitude in the book of John. John 5.44 records Jesus as saying, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. 
That is, how can you truly believe? You know, as long as you fear what people can do to you, you haven't yet fully come to entrust your life into God's hands. As long as you fear people, you can't believe in God. Let's be clear. People can do a lot, and there is every reason to fear them. See, people can kill you. You know, I was reading in a paper an incident of a road rage in which one motorist shot the other dead. Did you know that? One person having a very bad day can kill you or your family and introduce you to grief and lifelong pain. People can fire you from your job. People can turn your friends against you and leave you lonely. People can defraud you of your lifelong savings. People can even put you out of the synagogue. And in Christ's day, being put out of the synagogue meant that you were cut off from your community and friends, and even your own family was forbidden contact with you. It meant you had no job and no friends and no home and no place of belonging. And do you know that when the crowds were screaming to have Jesus crucified, some went along with it because they really didn't want to suffer the anger of the mob. You know, the old saying is, you know, you go along to get along. Maybe they even believed in Jesus, but they wouldn't make a stand. Not when people can punish them like that. And I want you to look to verse 43. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. See, John is saying that the number one motivator for not coming out as a believer in Jesus is not actually fear, but rather a hunger for the glory of men. It's not a fear of what men might do to us. It's a desire for what men might give us. Glory refers to approval or the praise of men. You know, when the world loves us, we get access to what the world loves. Promotions, upward mobility, the opportunity to influence, the ability to make a mark, to be spoken well of wherever we go. It's the opportunity to occupy positions of power. Men can give this to us who wouldn't want that. But in some cases, those opportunities come at a cost. Keep your convictions to yourself. Don't speak about things that others demand you not speak about. Participate in the deeds of darkness, and men will give you what you want. Now, Nicodemus and Joseph did show up after Jesus had been crucified, and it's a marvelous moment of faith. They lovingly took care of the elements for his burial. I mean, they actually displayed their faith then. But they kept remarkably quiet when their colleagues slandered Jesus, when they spit on him and beat him, and when they handed him over to be crucified. Where were they then? Look, I'm not saying that these men didn't get genuinely saved in the end. I think they did. But I am saying that there is believing when it's convenient, and then there's really believing. So much so that we would prefer the glory of God and the light that comes from God rather than preferring the glory of men. And that's the background. And now Jesus is about to give his final passionate appeal to the crowds. His public voice will be stilled after what he says right now. Jesus knows that his ministry has brought about a greater drama, a drama in the hearts of men and women far more than most would have anticipated. Some truly believed and they were truly on board. And some were ambivalent and some believed but didn't want to speak up so that when evil men stood against them, they they simply fell silent. And some, of course, deeply hardened their hearts. And so in just such an environment, Jesus makes his last passionate public appeal. John 12, 44 to 45 is the first section of his appeal, which is an appeal to recognize what he's been doing. When I was ministering among you, says Jesus, did you have even the slightest idea of what was going on? See, the passage says, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. 
We notice that Jesus is crying out as loudly as he can. He, he wants to have as many people hear him as can be. He wants to say, did you notice when I was preaching and doing miracles that the divine presence never left me, not for a moment? To believe in me, he says, is not to believe only in me. You aren't just followers of Jesus because I've been sent by God the Father. And so if you believe in me, you also believe in the one who sent me and in the one whom I have obeyed in everything that I have done. See, did you notice that Jesus never acted on his own initiative? Did you notice that Jesus never did anything except that which the Father had directed him to do? You should have seen, says Jesus, that I was sent to you from God himself to make an appeal to your lives. I was never just another prophet. I and the Father were one. We were in step with each other. Now then, having once more declared who he is, he now comes to the heart of the actual appeal itself, and that's found in verse 46. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. You know, it's the heart of Jesus' message is that the world is in darkness. Darkness is a moral description of the human condition. Do you remember what Jesus said way back in John 12, 35? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. And that's the thing about darkness. Darkness has no plan for life. Darkness is filled with catastrophic events that will eventually destroy us. Darkness is filled with ignorance about the one true God. Darkness is a moral condition in which Isaiah the prophet said, we dwell in the land of the shadow of death. But Jesus is light. He's light of God among us. He makes his hearers a promise. If you are tired of the darkness, here's what you do. Believe in me, and I promise you, you won't remain in darkness, for I am light. Come, believe in me. And then what happens if we don't believe? What happens even if now, after so many miracles and so many signs and so much teaching that indicates Jesus is truly from God and we walk away, what then? Is it a serious matter to just walk away from him and say, how about I still don't believe? So let's read John 12, 47 to 49. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. When Jesus says he didn't come to judge them, please understand that at other times, he's been very clear on this matter. John 5, 22, Jesus says that the Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son. No, no, Jesus is not denying that in the final day, all men and women will have to give an account to him. They will. He will render eternal judgment on all human beings. That's his unique role. He is quite simply the one before whom we must all give an account. But not in this present hour, says Jesus. Now, during this time period, he has not come to judge. He has come now to save and to bring light. Well, that doesn't take away the warning. If you hear the words of Jesus and harden your heart, then the very words that he has spoken will stand as your judge. If you're subject to the gospel, if you've heard it and then reject it, you'll be judged much more severely than the one who has never heard it in the first place. And then verse 49, Jesus makes it clear that he never spoke on his own authority. 
You know, that's the evidence of the supreme authority of the Trinity, and that in the Trinity, the authority belongs to the Father. Even though Jesus and the Father are fully equal, Jesus has humbled himself to the Father. Verse 50, And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. That is, since I have only spoken exactly what the Father told me, the matter about which I speak is nothing short of eternal life. It's the thing about Jesus. It's the thing. He comes with such grace and such kindness and such a marvelous invitation to step into the light, such an offer of forgiveness and reconciliation with God, the opportunity to start anew. But know this, his offer is eternal life. That is to say, we now, without him, don't have it. Right now, all humanity is in darkness, and to reject him and to fail to believe in him is to choose to remain in darkness, awaiting the final judgment. That's what's at stake. Understand, nothing short of eternal life now stands before us. So let me say it again. Today, if you hear his voice, don't you harden your heart. Don't you harden your heart. You make your choice today and you say, Jesus, enough of the vacillating. I bend the knee to you. I confess my sin. I surrender my life into your hands. I call you Lord and God. I believe in you. And according to your word, O Lord, bring me now from darkness to light. The public ministry of Jesus is now done. John, I really like the idea of that sense of humbling your hearts, even preparing your hearts to hear the Word of God, because I think there can be great risk is if we just hear the Word of God and they just walk away and allow the world to harden us. You know, the world hardens us, um, but our own hearts just naturally move towards this harder state. And so those of us who are hardened, you know, (laughs) God might, you know, interact and simply say, therefore, I'm going to give you over to that hardening. So... Yeah, this is important for us to immediately respond always, prepare our hearts, be ready to repent whenever we hear of it. I mean, don't even ask yourself, you know, do I feel like repenting? If it becomes clear from Scripture that you should, just do it, and you'll find that your heart is getting ever softer towards Christ. Our hearts are getting harder, they're getting softer, but I don't ever think they stay in the same place, Ben. So, you know, I think it's so important for us to do the right thing. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Passion, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. This month, we'll be featuring Dr. Neufeld's new series, Passion. This three-week series is focused on the Gospel of John chapters 12 to 14, and we'll take you through the study of the critical teachings of the Easter season. Join us every weekday beginning March 30th. And remember, you never need to miss an episode. All of our Bible teaching audio and video programs are available online at backtothebible.ca or for your convenience to listen whenever is most convenient for you. Sign up for the Back to the Bible Canada podcast wherever you listen to podcasts or download our free mobile app. This Easter season, journey with Dr. Neufeld into an understanding of Christ's sacrifice and victory that perhaps you've never considered before. For more information or to support the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.